Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Sarah. And this is the Squiggly Careers podcast, where each week we share ideas for action and tools for you to try out that we hope will help you, and it always does help us, navigate your squiggly career with more confidence, clarity, and control. And this week, we're taking on the topic of presence at work. And presence is one of those, I think, tricky words, because people struggle to define it and be specific about what good looks like. I feel like we sort of know it when we see it, but it's hard to break down into something that we can develop. And that's absolutely what we are now going to attempt to do today. <laughs> and I do think it is particularly frustrating if you receive feedback on this area. So I I don't think I've ever had these exact words, but I've definitely talked to people who've had feedback. Oh, you need to improve your presence if you want to progress. Mm. But then with no clarity about going, well, what does that look like? How will I know when I've got there? How do I think about what this means for me? So I feel like it's it's often one of those vague and abstract things that most of us feel like is important. We sort of recognize it's important. We've probably worked with or for people who we would describe as having presence, but it almost falls into that risk of maybe feeling like a personality trait or maybe something you either have or you don't have. So we've read quite a few different articles. I've read a really good book, which is a HBR sort of small mini book called Leadership Presence, which is one of the ones that they have in their emotional intelligence series. And one of the things that is really consistent is I am yet to find a very clear definition of this is what we mean by presence. What most of these articles seem to say is there's not a brilliant definition. You're like, they're great. No, but then <laughs> Unhelpful. I was like, who doesn't then think to write, but this is sort of my version. So we've had a go and I'm not sure this is perfect either, but I don't think that you can say, oh, it's something that we struggle to define and then not at least try to give it a bit of a shape or a bit of a sense of, well, what is this thing presence that we're talking about? So my best attempt, and you all listening can see what you think and let me know if you've got something better because we will definitely borrow that brilliance from you. But my attempt is presence is showing up in a way that has positive impact, particularly in high pressure moments. What do we think, Helen? Are we on board with that? Well, I am on board with it, but I would just like to pick up on the positive impact point because I think you can have presence and it can be negative, but I think in this podcast, we're always trying to help people to be at their best at work. So I think our framing of presence is we're trying to help you to develop it and demonstrate it in a positive way. So I think that's our angle in terms of what we're trying to support you with. 
And there are some presence principles that we also think are important as you sort of listen to some of the ideas for action that we've got. The first is that there's no such thing as perfect presence. Like there's no there's no brilliant blueprint for this. It's very individual and it's worth almost thinking about three people that you think have got this sort of positive presence. Like I was at an event last night and if I think, even like on the table that I was at last night, if I think about some of the people I was sitting with that have brilliant presence, uh, there's a guy called Dave McQueen, his wife, Madeline, and they have but they have brilliant presence, but in a very different way. And it's almost thinking about, well, maybe what's similar about the people that you can see that have presence and also what's different and distinct, because I think that's a really good thing to see that there's no sort of one size fits all version of what good presence looks like. Principle number two is that presence is not about pretending. So I don't have to be David. I don't have to be Madeleine McQueen. I have to find my own presence, something that feels personal to me. And really that starts from sort of your strengths, like the things that you show up with really naturally, the things that make you distinct and different. And that's a very good starting place when you're thinking about what does presence look like for me? And even though there isn't really this blueprint, there are some skills and there are some signals that will support you with the presence that you have at work. And that's really where we're going to focus on today. And two quick references for you before we get into the ideas for action and these skills and signals. If you haven't listened to Viv Groskop, she was on episode 105 of the podcast. She wrote a brilliant book. She has a great podcast called How to Own the Room. And I think that's a really good place to start. Viv is brilliant to listen to, for so that's just a great episode. But also the book that she's written has lots of practical advice and the podcast is great too. So if you, after today, want to dive a bit deeper, that's absolutely where I would go first. So there are three signals that we're going to talk about. And within each of these signals, there are skills that are very learnable and things that we can practice. So the three signals, the way that we've divided this up is what you say and how you say it, the way you present yourself and how you use power. And so I think this is almost from everything that we've been reading, watching, listening to kind of immersing ourselves in this world of presence. Often you find that people sort of go in one of these directions, but perhaps don't connect the dots. So you read one article and it'd be very much about body language, or you'll read another article and it'd be about the words that you say. But I think what we're trying to do here is kind of bring together almost like kind of the full picture of what contributes to you improving your presence. So we broke it down in that way. So hopefully that feels helpful. So that first signal is what you say and how you say it. And it's so fascinating. One of the articles I read that I loved, it was probably my favourite article, and I was like, oh, this is almost a podcast in its own right, was learning a bit about linguistic style. So this is your characteristic speaking pattern. And we will link to this article because it is so interesting, like why we speak in the way that we do and like where that comes from. But in summary, people have a style that tends to be more either direct or indirect. Everybody has different pacing and pauses choice of the words that you use and whether you use things like jokes, figure of speeches, stories, questions, apologies. I think it's useful to start when you're thinking about what you say and how you say it is like what is your sort of natural speaking pattern at the moment? What like what is your style? So I was asking myself this question as I was reading this article and getting I was definitely going down this rabbit hole of like linguistic styles. And actually we're not going to talk about it today, but if you're interested linguistic styles between genders is particularly interesting so you can get into a whole area around there so if you want to read it learn a bit more about that but I got to describing my own speaking style as enthusiastic smiley thoughtful humorous and questions they were sort of the 
keywords, if I was almost doing like a Google search or a keyword search on what do I think describes my speaking style, they were sort of the words that I got to. Where would you be, Helen? <laughs> I think I might be fast. <laughs> uh, it's a high pace. Friendly. I'm always like very kind of friendly and upbeat mm. and open and sort of fun. Like um, I think if I was, and obviously I have to have three Fs because that's just the way <laughs> that I talk. But yeah, fast, friendly and fun would probably be mine. Well, actually, it's a good point by Helen. One of Helen's speaking characteristics would be alliteration. So that's something that shows up frequently in the way that she communicates. And alliteration can increase our presence because it helps what we say to be memorable and it helps people to connect with it. And so I think just as a starting point, just think about with your speaking style, what supports your presence? So what is giving you presence? So we might say about Helen's alliteration that gives her presence, but also what might take it away? So I do actually remember once having some feedback where because I'm naturally smiley, you can sort of almost sometimes hear my smiles Mm. in how I'm talking. Someone once said, just be careful not to smile when it's serious. Mm. And actually, it sounds like potentially a flippant point, but actually it's a really important one because some conversations, you know, you shouldn't be smiling. It's something that's challenging or confronting or it's, you know, it's a serious topic where you're making serious decisions. And I think sometimes I cope with that seriousness by smiling. I sort of think I find it like reassuring and I, I sort of want other people to smile at me and it probably just because it makes me feel better. So it's a sort of a need that I have. So I think it's starting to think about, well, when might you adapt your natural speaking pattern to improve your presence? Like Helen, I know that sometimes you you very intentionally try to slow down, for example. Yeah, so I had some coaching from a, a speech and drama coach to help me to be a bit more intentional about the words that I say and how I say them. And this is particularly in the context of the work that Sarah and I do you know, we do a lot of workshops and sessions and I'm, I'm sort of happy with my presence in those sessions and my pace and lots of the ways that I talk, I'm okay with that. But sometimes we'll be in a very different medium, like talking on radio was a particular point. So I feel like with my presence, when my words and my physical identity are aligned, i.e. you can see me on a screen and you can see my hands, I feel it all works quite well. So my fast, friendly, fun thing, there's quite a lot of consistency mm-hmm. in, in the words that I say and how I kind of show up on a, on a screen, for example. But on kind of radio, all you hear is the words. And so I haven't got that sort of body language to support the, what I'm saying and the way I'm saying it. So I think the way that you speak becomes even more important when people just hear your words. And I think, you know, other people listening, you might think, well, I don't talk on radio, why is this relevant? But you probably do talk on Teams at work or on Zoom with your camera off sometimes. And I think when that's the same thing, like people are just hearing your voice and I think when that's all they've got, that's all they're kind of taking in is, is the words that you're saying and the way that you're saying them. I think being intentional about it's really important. And so that that particular speech coach taught me loads of things to help with pitch and pausing when I was talking to increase my presence when people can't see me you've not got there's nothing else there for people other than the words you speak and the way you say them so a couple of the things I think are important are pausing so it's really hard to say pause and then not pause and then not feel bad at yourself for not pausing anyway I'll just move on everyone pausing so pausing is really important what she taught me was she gave me a poem to read and press voice record so I said the poem 
just you know the way you would normally like you're at school being like <laughs> and on a month or whatever whatever I can't remember what the poem was but we just recorded it she's like just do it don't try too hard just read the poem so I read the poem and then she said and now at the end of like every full stop or line or comma take a pause she was like focus on the full stops the end of the line the commas and pause there and she said it'll feel really weird but all I really I don't don't really focus on the words focus on like that moment to pause and then she recorded me saying it again And then we listened back and the poem with the pauses was so much more impactful. And I wasn't actually even thinking about the words because she just said, I was almost just looking for the full stops and commas and ends of lines and so I could put a pause in. And it was so, the poem just, the words had so much more weight. And that is the point with pausing. And if you're like me, I am not a natural pauser because I'm kind of fast and friendly. So I have to work quite hard at this. And there are different types of pauses that you can use, which... I don't know if this really matters, to be honest, because pauses are pauses, but you can use them in different ways. So like, for example, a transition pause is where you're making one point and then moving on to another one. So it's almost like you don't want all those things to run together. So if I was talking to Sarah about my week and I wanted to make two points about how effective I thought the team were working and how maybe I wanted to do something different next week, they're two different points. And so I sort of need a pause so Sarah can breathe and like and, and sort of uh, know that I'm making two distinct points. There's a sense pause, which I think is almost like almost just like a breath in. Like think of it as like pausing where a comma would be, and it just helps people to process because if you say too much too fast, it's hard for people to take in. So that's the thing you're doing there. Dramatic pauses. So if you've got a question or a you know a big stat, you know some data from the business, and you really want it to sink in, dramatic pauses are great for that. And then one I think Sarah is amazing at is the reflective pause. You're brilliant at this, Sarah. So Sarah will ask a coach herself question and then just like sit in silence but you, you're so good <laughs> at it and you create that that the, the silence is a space for people to reflect and it's a really confident thing to do and you do do it really naturally but I mean whether you use pauses in that that's a very nuanced way of pausing but the thing the main thing to think about is pauses are powerful and it gives your words weight yeah one of the things that I do consciously do in terms of dramatic pauses which does sound very kind of um sorry I can't quite say that what's the word theatrical that's what I was trying to say (laughs) theatrical um I'm not the person hungover (laughs) so I do use dramatic pauses particularly where I want to make an important point so sometimes when I'm running a workshop you know you're, you're finding your flow I might say something like and there's one thing that often gets missed about this and then I'll pause and say, but you've, you, you know, it's almost like you've done the sort of mm. slightly the transition, but you've signaled to somebody, this is important. So I might say something that often gets missed, or I'll say, the most important thing to remember is that we need to dot, dot, dot. So mm. I'll, I'll just, that's often where I'm either trying to summarize or really make sure that I've given clarity of just in case you've missed anything in the last couple of minutes where you've probably been going a bit quicker, I just slow myself down and I kind of add a pause in. I think the, unfortunately, the only way to know how often you pause is to record yourself. And I know this usually feels really uncomfortable, but if you're doing a meeting, for example, that normally gets recorded, or if you're having a conversation that you feel it would be okay to say, you know, could I just record this? Because actually I'm doing some work on my presence. I'd love to just watch it back. Don't worry. I'm just going to use it for kind of my own, my own purposes. Watching and listening to yourself in a meeting or in a moment, which I think is probably a bit easier now, given how much we're doing on Zoom and Teams, you will just start to realise, oh, crikey, I never pause. Or just how quickly you speak. 
Or that perhaps actually, do you know what? Maybe you're not giving yourself credit for how effectively you already use pauses, but it's not an area we tend to have naturally high self-awareness about. I think often you have got to almost neutrally listen to yourself, a bit like Helen describes as reading out a poem. Or you could just do a voice note to yourself. Just do a voice note to yourself and then listen back to it and then think, hmm, how, how much presence did I have in that voice note? What improved my presence and what took it away? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And alongside pausing, the other thing that you might want to listen out for is your pitch. So kind of do you naturally talk at quite a high pitch? So that tends to indicate sort of energy and enthusiasm. So I have quite a high pitch, for example, or maybe a low pitch, which is tends to be, it's often associated more with like kind of gravitas when you've got that lower pitch. But I think sometimes you don't want to do that too much because there's, what is the lady that is in, in you know, that, that had that company that, you know, the Elizabeth. Medical, yeah, Elizabeth, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, but everyone listening will know that lady like she had a low a very very low pitch and then was actually people thought that it was sort of put on quite a lot and so you don't you don't I think these things whether they're too high or you're too low you do want to be distinctive and different but I don't think you want it to be so odd that suddenly that detracts from the words that you're saying like you, this it needs to support like how you want to come across and the kind of content of what you're actually saying about. You don't ever want any of this to be a distraction. And so, for example, I think sometimes because my pitch and my pace, so the speed that you speak at, is sometimes quite high and quite fast, I do actually think that can sometimes be too distracting. And so I have to work hard because I don't want to be known for someone who talks really high and speaks really fast I want to be known for someone who says stuff that makes sense and if the way that you say your words gets in the way of like what you're trying to say and communicate then it's not working well for you and I think that's the point we're trying to get to well I guess the risk there for Helen is that she could feel a bit frantic and you kind of go well is that the impact you're trying to make I think it's very difficult to as we said at the start you're not trying to then be someone you're not so you're not suddenly going to change your your tone or pitch and pace 
dramatically. I think when I've done work on this with people and and I both spent time with experts who are amazing at this, it's often small things that you can do that just make it is almost incremental adjustments. I always think about like dialing it up or dialing it down. So if I do want to slow myself down, if I'm thinking, well, this is less about smiliness and energy. This is more about I want my words to have weight. Actually just taking a few deep breaths before I talk, intentionally slowing myself down, even thinking about how I sit, you know, sort of sitting with your feet flat on the floor, sitting up straight, making sure that you can project. All of those things slow me down. Whereas then there's sort of my normal, like how I might sit more casually when I'm less conscious of it. So I think often this is just about know those sort of small actions that can just make alterations that actually can have quite a big impact in terms of your presence. Did I tell you about the speech coach and touching my toes? Did I tell you about that? No. (laughs) So if you want a small action, everybody, try this one out. Probably not in the office. So um, the point was when she was kind of coaching me, when you get nervous, um, so you've got presentation coming up, or my example was like speaking on the radio, because they basically go, just sit here for two minutes and and Jane will be here shortly. And you're like, it's very, very tense. But what happens when you get nervous is your whole body tenses. And so your vocal cords actually tense as well. Like, you might, you know, you get really tense, all those muscles. And so the pitch becomes higher unintentionally because everything's tightened. So mm. for me, for someone who's trying to lower my pitch, my nerves actually create a problem because my body's sort of working against me. It's getting really tense and it's making it higher. And so what you're supposed to do is... You know, Right. So before, like, let's say a presentation or whatever, you're nervous about something where you're going to be speaking and this could potentially happen. You bend over, you touch your toes or as close as you can get to it, depending on how flexible you are. And you take some really, really deep breaths in. So like really, you're basically trying to fill your lungs with air. You're trying to make that bit of you bigger. And then what you've got to do is like roll your body up, but you don't go too fast because you're trying to keep the air in your lungs. And then when you speak, your voice is so much lower because there's like your lungs are bigger, everything's softened. And it's a really, it's like the opposite of the helium balloon thing. You know, (laughs) it's it's, it's the opposite of that. Suddenly I did it and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this voice? But it's just because you've got like more, more air in there. Four box breathing is my Mm. equivalent of that. Mm. This is what I mean. I do think you need small hacks that work for you. And I knew that. And I was also aware that when you get nervous, you essentially get worse, but they're the moments often where you want the most present. So you've sort of got this contradiction that you're trying to overcome. And four box breathing is just where, you know, you sort of, you breathe in for four, you hold it for four, you exhale for four, and then you sort of rest for four. And then you might actually increase that to six, 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 eight, 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 eight. But by really slowing down your breathing, you sort of reduce the adrenaline that's coursing around. And you're just focusing on your breathing. It also sort of makes you present and makes you feel calm and collected. So if that is how you are trying to come across and yet you're really nervous and you're likely to be, you know, maybe feeling a bit tense, perhaps your body starts to close in on itself. All of those things are then really unhelpful for what you're trying to achieve. So I would say just try out. And you always, I would also say, I always feel a bit stupid. (laughs) I don't, because you're sort of doing something slightly weird. In your own company, you're like, I'm literally sitting here breathing to myself. I'm touching because, my toes and breathing yeah, in and rolling up. This is very strange. <laughs> because I am a bit nervous about this thing. Yeah. So I think almost recognising that firstly, the emotions around nerves and actually being excited are the same. Mm. So how they feel mm. in our body are the same. And I remember somebody telling me that and thinking, that's really helpful. So 
like tell myself first of all this is because I am excited this is because I care this is because I want to do a really good job not this is because I'm nervous and I'm not going to do a good job so that's quite a useful reframe in those moments and then just think what is going to help me is it the touching your toes is it the four box breathing is it literally just I have my shoulders kind of come in if that makes sense Mm. when I'm either cold or a bit nervous I sort of close down so mine is literally a shoulder roll backwards because actually naturally I have quite good posture which is useful for communicating but sometimes I have a tendency to sort of come in on myself so literally two shoulder rolls going backwards I sit up straighter my back gets straighter again you're opening up your chest you can communicate a bit better so none of these things feel slightly strange but I think they do really help you just in those moments particularly the high pressure moments so back to our definition of positive impact in a high pressure moment high pressure moments I think we could just do with some things that almost help to distract us maybe from the nerves but also at the same time help with our presence. And so Sarah talking about sort of shoulder rolls then and, and when you're nervous, she maybe goes kind of closes in on herself or just cold, for example, gets us onto the second area that we wanted to focus on, which is the way that you present yourself. And part of it, I think, is about that awareness. So Sarah, for example, knows that about herself. If she's nervous or cold, that's going to happen. That's going to make her sort of body smaller and it might make her come across to other people in a way that isn't her intention. And so you do, I think the starting point for all of this is how do you want to come across? There's no, if you're going to be conscious about your your posture, you're going to sort of create an impression with your body, basically. Like I think, think about what is the impression that you want? Do you want to come across as serious? Do you want to come across as, you know, open or curious? Because, you know, if you want to come across as curious, you're more likely to lean in. If you're, you want to come across as open, you might, you know, use your hands more. If you want to come across as authoritative, you might make sure you're standing up. Like, not all of those things are right for all of the different ways you might want to work. So you've got to start with well, how, how do I want to want to come across? And some of the things that I've learned in this area are, I'm a gesticulator, which is like a funny <laughs> word to say, but I basically use my hands a lot when I'm talking. And again, that might be a bit distracting. I really realized this when Sarah and I were doing events and people would take photos of you like at events like as in a photographer not I just not just like random people like a photographer and then they send you the pictures afterwards and I'm like why why is there no picture of me just like standing still and you're smiling? always waving aren't you in some ways <laughs> I feel like every picture could have a caption where someone could be like like what is Helen Mime doing with her hands? some description yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's awful but I look at them and go well that's because that brilliant photographer could not get a picture of me when my hands were <laughs> flapping around and that is that's not great and what I was taught but I'm still haven't you know I'm, this is still a work in progress everybody is use your hands to support your words so for example if I'm saying I've got three points to make I should put like three fingers up and be like here's the points or if I'm talking about we're going to move forward I might use my hand in a way to indicate sort of moving forward or if I'm saying and now we've come to a close, I might bring my hands together to close them. And so that obviously takes practice because you would need to think about the words before you said them in order to align it with the way that you're using your hands. But I did think that was interesting so that your hands aren't distracting. I have not mastered this, but I, th- I think it's a, it's a potentially a good skill to, to master. And one other thing, and then Sarah, I had a look at your top tips on uh, position and posture. But one other thing I also learned from making a mistake was uh, I did this course years ago and it was like they had this like negotiation exercise so they put us in a room and we were all given there was like eight of us and we were all given a bit of paper with a roll on it so like we were were supposed to be like a fake business and someone worked in operations someone worked in marketing all that kind of thing I can't remember what job I had but you basically had to negotiate for what was on your piece of paper everyone sort of wanted things that 
wouldn't be possible. So it was that skill of negotiation. Anyway, it was recorded. And afterwards, we had to watch the recording back and like give feedback on like influence, presence, impact, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I realised, and they'd done this intentionally, that one of the chairs was deliberately pumped down low. You know, like the chairs, that, that the hydraulics yeah. on a chair, they had deliberately put one chair on like the very lowest setting. And, you know, what happened? You go into a room, you sit on a chair. Most people don't think much more than that. But when you watch the video back, what it looked like was that my position in that room and my posture was affected by the height of my chair. I looked like a little girl, if I'm honest. Like, I looked mm. back, I was really low at the table. I had to really move in physically a lot to make a point because I wasn't as physically sort of present, physically present as much as other people because my chair was lower. And they basically said, like, when you go into a room, like, always make sure, like, pump your chair up. But, like, again, particularly if we're trying to work on presence like you might not want to do this in every meeting but I thought it was something that you're like oh I would never really be conscious of that and my last point is I think it's the same on a screen so I think we often come on screen and we don't really think about like where are we positioned on that screen so if you're on zoom and you're like bottom left or bottom right or your kind of head's not really like you want to have presence on screen and so you might just want to think about like am I sort of central to the screen particularly if you're presenting like I think this would take too yeah. much energy to do all the time but if there's a particular yeah, meeting wouldn't, wouldn't it? it god I don't know it'd be tiring <laughs> but if there's a particular meeting where you really want to be intentional about how you're coming across you want to have that positive impact in that high pressure moment that Sarah talked about I do think if you're doing it virtually camera on if you can, because then your kind of words and the way that your body is communicating will help you but think about your positioning in the screen I think it makes quite a big difference well, somebody told me quite early on in lockdown that what they did was, you know where the camera is on your laptop? They literally put a post-it note above it and it literally, it had a smiley face, so it's quite, <laughs> like a smiley face, but it sort of said, look here. Mm. Because you know, so often people don't make eye contact in the right place. And in lots of ways, it's difficult because you're also looking around your screen because that's where people are on your screen. So as Helen said, I don't think this is all the time. I'm just thinking about you've got that presentation where you're really trying to get something signed off or you're spending time with some senior people that you do want to impress and have presence with. You probably don't want your eyes to be bottom left of that screen or you don't want your eyes to be wondering and that, that looks a bit confusing. And again, the only thing you've got to do here is just test, just record yourself looking at the screen. I've done it before when I've been recording things for Instagram or LinkedIn. I record it and then I look back and I'm like, where, what am I looking at? Like where? And I thought I was looking at my phone, but I'm just not quite looking, I'm just yeah, not looking in yeah. the right place. So I think you've just got to, for those moments, I think it is quite helpful. And back to the chair thing, like we're talking about chairs a weird amount. I think when you go into a physical room, if you are trying to have presence, just think about where you sit in that room. That was some advice that I was yeah. given where I used to sometimes come into rooms and sort of sit at the edge of rooms. And especially as an introvert, I quite like being at the edge. It sort of suits my personality. But somehow also you're not quite as in it. So if you're like really trying to have presence, you want to have impact, yet sit in the centre of that room or really think about like for this conversation, like where is the best like point to place myself mm. so that people can see me and they can look at me and actually I am really quite conscious of that now even like last night I went to quite a small sort of dinner with a few people who also run companies and I just know that I am more present less about I didn't need to have presence in that but I know I'm more present and I'm more involved in those conversations if I sort of sit more kind of in it versus if I sort of 
almost opt out a little bit and go to the edges, mm. which is very much in my comfort zone, that I just know I won't learn as much, I won't contribute as much. These are small things and just experiment with them is what I would say. I remember someone telling me that about where you sit in a meeting and I was very dismissive. I was like, no, oh, that's, that's a tactic. not... That's not that important. It's a tactic. It doesn't work. Not that important. And I got a very nice nudge and she was like, just try it. And it was so funny. I like did. And I was like, do you know what? I did feel... I felt differently. It's all about how you feel. I felt differently in that meeting and therefore I showed up in a more positive way. And it's this is not about me sort of trying to do anything like to be someone I'm not. It's just about there are certain moments where I will think, right, I'm going to very consciously just consider here, like how can presence work for me? Because I want to have a positive impact because I care about this work. And so the last thing that we're going to talk about is power. And I just want to make a quick point on power. Not because I think it's not important, but it's probably a podcast in itself. I mean, let us know if you want to, let us know if you want a podcast on power at work. But in the context of your presence, power does play a role. So traditionally, power like was used to be quite hard. Power was something that people who were more senior had. You know, it's like rules and authority, like command and control type of power. And now in the workplace, we have this thing which is more about sort of soft power. So it's less about sort of coercing people to do things. And it's more about sort of co-opting them, influencing them to a different type of power. And soft power is really about how people are attracted to do what you would like them to do. So it's sort of convincing them, bringing them along. They want to do what you want them to do. So like hard power is I told you what I want you to do. And soft power is there's something that I'm doing, a belief that I'm creating, an attraction that I have that makes you want to do what I would want you to do now obviously this is like a really big topic (laughs) it really is but power is important like with your presence and your communicating you're trying to potentially convince people about something that you you know maybe as a project that you want to get started or a budget or whatever it is a particular point you're trying to get across so it's worth thinking about what have you got that could create that power at work and sometimes it's sort of content so some people have sort of an expertise in an area and that's quite powerful because people are like oh I I want to do what Helen's like saying because I know that she's the expert here so maybe that's where your power is based in sort of content and expertise sometimes it's sort of context more your experience than your expertise it's more like oh she's done this for a long time she knows how she's done this before she's she's been through redundancies and restructures or whatever it is she started up businesses and and so it's more the experience that gives you power and people kind of believe in you and want to do what you're saying because that's what you're bringing to them and sometimes there's this thing around connection power which I think is interesting so you've got power because you know people that's what connection power is and so that's why you have presence because you can talk about other people and other relationships and you bring these sort of people into the conversations and then that creates like a, an impact in people's minds that you are a person that knows people and therefore that you know that's that's why I believe in what you're saying so it's just worth thinking about power plays a role in presence definitely is your power grounded in your sort of content so your expertise your context so more of experience or connection is it more about people you that kind of people person and does that create power so just something to reflect on because it does play a bit of a role and just on that context one you don't need to be experienced to bring useful experiences Mm. so you might be one year into your career listening to this and you've got a really good insight into what that feels like you know what it feels like you know you're really close your context is you're really close to what it's like to be new into the workplace or you've got fresh eyes feedback in terms of the work that you're doing for your customers 
So this doesn't mean that, oh, I need to be really, I think this could feel a bit intimidating if you're a bit earlier in your career, because you might think, well, I'm not an expert yet and I'm not really experienced and maybe you've not quite got the connections. But remember, we all have some sort of power. And I think often if you're earlier in your career, you've got that kind of context of you are in your audience. So you understand the people that you're trying to sell to better than anyone else in that room. Because I was thinking back to if this had been me 15 years ago, and I'm, you know, you're desperately trying to have presence earlier on in your career because maybe you've not got the seniority. You're kind of the least senior person in the room. And I was probably never the expert. I'm more the expert now than I've ever been. I wouldn't have had the connections, but I was good at the context. Mm. And I think that was because I was curious. I think I was being in curiosity. I was curious and I understood like who we were trying to talk to or what we were trying to do. I was, I was the closest of anyone in that room. And I think it was having the confidence to say, you know, well, I've spoken to our customers or I've spoken to some of our other colleagues and I'm really trying to give you that sense of I understand what they need or like why we should do that because otherwise I think this idea of power could feel a bit bit hard if you're sort of in those earlier yeah. earlier stages of your career yeah no yeah i agree and yeah like if you if you would like us to dive deep more deeply into power on the podcast then like email us let us know it's um helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com but hopefully you have found that useful i think it's a really interesting topic because i feel like everyone's got some sort of work to do here i think that we're always work in progress but on this particular point i think there's lots of things that you can experiment with like it's almost be playful with presence a little bit like maybe choose some of the low pressure moments to experiment with your presence so that you've got the skills that you need in the high pressure moments and and i think it is you know it's quite fun whether you're you know touching your toes or sitting on chairs in different rooms (laughs) like this this is stuff you can experiment with it's fun but we'll summarize all of this in the pod sheet and you can get that on amazingif.com it's also what we send out every week in pod mail so we'll put the links so that you can sign up for that on the show notes so if you're on apple just click on the description you'll find the links there but email us if you ever can't find anything and, and we'll get you what you need So thank you all so much for listening. We always really appreciate you giving us your time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We hope we've been helpful and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. 